Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Theory, CEO of We Aspire. And today we have an incredibly important topic and an amazing special guest who will help us navigate it. So question for you, have you ever felt that you're not good enough, had self-doubt or experienced burnout? I know personally I have many times, even feeling burnt out as recently as last week. And when Brett and I caught up for a coffee last week, it was a topic that we ended up speaking about at length. And I know Brett, for you, um, as a CEO of Clearleave and CEO of many organisations, you've uh, experienced this yourself and had your own personal journey with burnout uh, and, and feeling those imposter syndrome feelings. So Brett, I'd love to hear before we dive in your perspective on self-care. Uh, hi, Felicity. Look, I think the first thing I'll say is um, the most important question I've ever been asked was from a, a prior chair of a board I worked for. Uh, I got offered a job um, some years back at my first CEO job, and he congratulated me. And then he said, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Who's the most important person in your life? And I, of course, started talking about my lovely wife and my wonderful son. And he said, mate, no, you're wrong. He said, the most important person in your world has to be you. Because if you're not looking after yourself, you can't look after anybody else. And that, for me, has been one of the most defining questions I've ever been asked. And it's something that I, I live and breathe every single day now. And no doubt, as we talk with our special guest, um, we'll talk about how that manifests on a daily basis. Um, I get imposter syndrome just like everybody else. So this is a, a fantastic podcast topic, and I'm really looking forward to diving into this one. Awesome. Great to have you here, as always, Brett. So today we are joined by the amazing Sheridan Stewart, a favourite FM radio host and personality for more than 20 years. And she's the author of a new book, I Am Enough, a 90-day challenge to find contentment. So many different elements to this. I'm super excited to have you here, Sheridan. And whenever, wherever you're at in your leadership journey, I know this is going to be relevant for everyone listening today because leadership starts with leading yourself first. So welcome, Sheridan. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I was really excited to dig into this topic or these topics with you because, of course, you know, one thing tends to have a little bit of a ripple effect. I've already thought of, you know, things I haven't thought of for a while, just hearing your introduction and yours as well, Brett. It's a bit of a uh, you know, string that starts to unravel once you start to unpick the uh, burnout or self, you know, self-leadership, then it becomes every area and facet of life. And we often think about leadership just at work, but it's in the personal journey as well. Sheridan, I'd love to kick off with finding out how you got involved in this topic. Where did it start? What has been your journey into writing this amazing book? Wow, where did it start? <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll go with the short answer because I guess we could sort of delve into all different areas and different points in life. But the, the book itself started as a one-page journal entry. And I'd written this entry I'd known for a couple of years, although I was in a fair bit of denial. The word burnout seemed too strong for what I was feeling. I was always comparing myself to people who had had more sort of direct trauma rather than the vicarious trauma that journalists tend to experience. Um, we were post Black Summer, which of course here on the Sunshine Coast started in winter, so months and months and months of non-stop broadcasting and those fires that tore across the nation, uh, they seemed to be in every area that I either lived or knew people or had worked. So I stayed in this very heightened state of, um, of attention and it was very hard to switch off. But even before that, like it probably goes back to 
coming to the ABC where I'd always wanted to work, really aspired to work, but came in with a huge chip on my shoulder called imposter syndrome because most people have university degrees in journalism and they're very news focused. And I'd come in from an arts and um I guess, personal stories background. I've been a broadcaster in FM radio for a long time, and that job was very, very easy. It was really fun. Um, You know, I have no regrets, but I'd always crave to tell more meaningful stories than, you know, 30 seconds of the best music of the 80s, 90s and today with itsy bitsy titsy in the morning and, you know, you can win a million dollars and here's another song that you heard two hours ago. You know, I always wanted to do more than that. And I did. I squeezed myself in personality-wise whenever I could, but it was becoming more and more restrictive. And probably the standout to me that led me to thinking perhaps it was time to start looking in the direction of something like the ABC was when people were asking me what my favourite interview was and I kept remembering this woman who rang a week after I made a an offhand comment about a song that I'd played and a friend of mine who'd struggled with, um, oh, I was going to say hypochondria, that's dreadful, isn't it? The wrong word has come into my mind. Agrophobia. She'd struggled with agrophobia. So she'd spent many years not leaving the house. And, you know, through therapy and friendship, she ended up traveling to Europe with me. And a woman rang me a week later on the air and said, Sheridan, I just wanted to thank you for telling me about your friend. When I heard about your friend going overseas with you, I went to my post box for the first time in five years. Wow. And that story still gives me goosebumps. And I felt the power of the medium of radio, the the power of storytelling, the power of sharing something really authentic. And it just stayed with me that I could be doing more than, you know, playing long blocks of great music. (laughs) It was really fun. And I did get to meet lots of people and do fabulous things, but that stayed with me. So fast forward, I get the opportunity to come to the ABC. I've got the imposter syndrome, you know, loud and proud banging away at me. And then we get hit with Black Summer and the pandemic. And, you know, I really grew in the news aspects of the role, but it was always there that that perhaps wasn't the focus I came into the ABC intending to, to bring. I thought, well, there's a lot of journalists. I will bring something else. And, you know, I think I did, but it also felt like more and more it had become just news and appropriately so. We had a pandemic, we had the Trump era, we had a lot. So all of that was going on already in the back of my head. So to compensate for that, I was overworking and I put my hand up and said yes to absolutely everything that was required. You know, it was like, oh, we need someone to sit on the, you know, the the, the health board, the Oc Health and Safety Board, the Queensland. Oh, I'll do that. You know, just put my hand up for absolutely everything. So I was probably already carrying uh, a, an unnecessarily big load. So I, I, ended up having to look at my part in that because no one had a gun to my head saying, you know, you're only going to keep your job because, you know, by the way, you don't have a news background. So, you know, clearly you need to do all these extra things. No one ever said that, of course. It was me. So in this one-page journal entry, I'd signed, I'd kind of come up with this mantra of I have enough, I do enough, I am enough. And I began to question 
why it was that I always felt that I had to have, do and be more. And it felt like a pandemic. I just knew that that mantra was something or that topic was something that was was affecting everyone at, at all different points of life and all different points of our career, especially those of us who are passionate about what we do. So I, I love a challenge and I created myself a 90-day challenge and I thought, well, I'll tackle these different topics. I, I'd started to regain some weight that was, you know, oh, it'd take me years and years to lose. And I'd managed to keep it off for, for quite a while. And suddenly that was sneaking back. And I was starting to fray at the edges. The, the good habits that kept me in good stead were, you know, being being unraveled. And my hyper-focus on work was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the challenge I came up with, there were three parts. Uh, Part one was no cafes and restaurants for 90 days because I could see I was spending a lot in that direction. Uh, No non-essential spending. So it was the pandemic. And next thing you know, I'm sending flowers to everyone online. And um, I I was buying online courses. God knows when I thought I was going to have time to do them. I bought a $999 course in podcasting that expired before I even opened the first email. And... The third part was to go home from work on time. So guess which one I failed at? The last one. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. I really thought that the food thing and would be the first hurdle, but really it was the area that, um, and I use the word fail with a, a big smile because really it was the area I had the most to learn, how to manage myself as a very driven, um, very passionate career woman, um, but how to feel like I was enough. Like why why was it that I felt that I needed to to do and overdo far more than was actually being asked of me? So I do think there are things in in our current work cultures that push that and certainly in advertising that pushes that belief. Um, but I also had to look at my side of it. It's like, okay, I can't fix the fact and I did the research. That's where being an ABC <laughs> presenter and, and journalist was helpful. I'd really, you know, sharpened my research skills. And right across the, the Western world, at least, um, overwork is an issue. And you'd be, both be aware of that. The research is in. It's absolutely everywhere. In France, they went as far as banning companies from emailing people yeah. on the weekend because with our devices, I'm not telling you anything new here, we just are attached, you know, the umbilical cord to the mothership is feeding us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we're our, our own worst enemies in some instances, aren't we, Sheridan? Yeah, and that thing that makes you good at what you do, the willingness to go the extra mile can turn in on itself and become a problem in and of itself. So I think that's you know, it's an, such an important quality, especially, you know, to get where you're going and to, you know, to develop really strong work, work ethic and, and great habits at work. But when it goes too far, the very thing that made you good at what you do can actually be your undoing. And certainly in my case, you know, when I look back, I can see that. And certain roles will bring that out more. So it's something that as we go forward in our career, and for people who perhaps are listening that are in the earlier parts of their careers, 
just something to watch out for. When I was in commercial radio, I rolled on in, I did my job, I had a laugh, I got paid pretty much what I get paid now. And I worked, I would say, about one eighth of the intensity that I do now, of the time that I do now. And nobody ever told me I wasn't enough. But there was something about coming into a role that had more responsibility. And I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I struggle to carry it lightly. I take it very seriously. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I think perpetuated what was already strong, a strong work ethic, which with an easy job was easy to manage. And then with a, a more challenging, more demanding, and certainly a higher level of accountability and responsibility, um, yeah, I, I began to really sort of get overshadowed by that burden. And when I say shadows, I'm thinking of, you know, the puppet shadow, something that can be just a hand, but when it's projected up onto the wall in front of the light, it looks huge. It becomes this big monster. And I just kept thinking, oh, I know I'm feeling pretty burnt out. I know I haven't slept for God knows how many years, but if I just finish this project or I just get to the end of this week or I just get to the Christmas break or whatever it was, then I'll do a reset and I'll be fine. But my version of resetting was to be even harder on myself and to, you know, dig even deeper. I just thought I, if I dug deep enough, I'd be okay. It never occurred to me to press pause. And that's really what I learned to do during this challenge. So good, Sheridan. There's so much of what you're saying that I'm just nodding and cringing at the same time because my first engineering roles I went into, I felt I wasn't good enough because I wasn't this, you know, perfect maths and science person and didn't get the top marks and things like that. So I went into those roles very much feeling... Um, feeling you feel like, like you're on the back foot, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I did uh, find myself working harder to try and prove myself or not make a mistake in a meeting to always have the right answer. And then that led down a path of, well, those things are strengths, exactly like you said, where they're actually helping me be better in my career. So if you take them away, then it's, you know, taking away some of those protection mechanisms as well, which can be so tricky. And I think what you said about really setting boundaries is so powerful. I, I've never thought to say, I don't even know what leaving work on time is. I don't even have a time that I finish work because I currently have no boundary in that area. Brett, I know that you, you're really great at setting setting boundaries at work and have you had similar experiences as well? Oh, look, I have. It's funny. Um, uh, I was just thinking about the first time I ever suffered real anxiety at work, it was I'm thinking it was probably around 2010, 2011. Um, I was working for a large national regulatory agency and I'd just been, in effect, promoted to, a, a in effect, a really senior role. And I had a meeting with, um, in effect, the board of this national regulatory agency and all of the really big business leaders from around the state and, in, and some from around Australia. And I'm talking, you know, some of the chairs of, of some of the largest ASX listed companies, etc. And I remember I was sitting next to somebody and I I literally had this heart palpitation and I was sweating and I wasn't eating. I was petrified that they were going to see through me, sitting right there and then. And so it, it's quite funny. I, um, I've sort of got goosebumps just talking about it now. So I've had imposter syndrome. I've worked the 100, 150, not 150, but 100, 110 hours a week. I've done it at the detriment of myself, my family, my friends. Um, 
and you know what, it's not until you hit the wall that you actually, as, as you said, Sheridan, you, you sort of start to think, how did I get here? So I think, Felicity, what I've learned over my time is you've got to be really, really brutal on self. Um, and, and by that, I'm talking about set the boundaries. I mean, you and I have spoken about that. Um, and that's something that I am absolutely fanatical about. You, you know, um, after hours now, I'm really lucky. I don't have a job that I have to use my phone or anything, so I switch off completely. It's those little things. So, yeah, I, I felt it all. I loved, um, Brett, the story you told about your first CEO job and the person who, you know, said who's the most important person. And it takes me back to oh, perhaps my very early 20s, 20s, possibly even my late teens. I've always been a bit of a self-help junkie and I remember doing one of these quizzes and I had to, you know, lay out, you know, the top five things in the right order. And then whoever was facilitating that workshop said, now if health wasn't your number one you're going to have a problem. I had it down the bottom. A, I was invincible. I was barely 20. Um, but I did not put it at the top until until it was almost too late. Like I could have really, I was doing myself a disservice. Not only was there, you know, burnout at play or vicarious trauma, um, you know, from the, the type of work I do, but I was ignoring physical symptoms and, you know, I, I had to, I use the term press pause a lot. I had to actually step back and address those. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky that in the greatest scheme of things, there's, there was nothing too diabolical or, or I hadn't done sort of permanent damage, but I was well and truly on that path. And we often hear how someone gets a, a dreadful diagnosis and they say it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And it's like, we don't want to be that person. Um, and of course, you know, sometimes people get a dreadful diagnosis, no matter what they do or don't do. So, you know, I'm not casting that net across everybody, but it is that cautionary tale. And there it was, someone had planted that idea, you know, 30 years ago, and I didn't listen to it. Did you listen? I, I didn't even think about the question, Sheridan, until I know, I know the date, it was the the 15th of December 2015, because I just had this interview for this job. I got told that afternoon that I got it, and then the chair of the board rings me and says, mate, congratulations, this is the first question. Up until the 15th of December 2015, I'd never thought that I was the most important person in the world. And so it was. that's why for me it was so life-changing and defining for me, both at home and in respect of, of everything I've done since then. What about you, Felicity? Had you ever thought about it? No, not until someone had brought it to my attention. I think it was a similar thing around a coach or a mentor and they'd said, they'd, they'd asked me that, who's the most important person? I, I literally wrote down, you know, my husband, uh, my family, and they said, no, it's you because at the end of the day, you're the one who's got to take care of you. No one else is going to do that. And it was a really shocking moment to think, oh, wow, okay. And I think we often get told it's selfish to think about ourselves, but if we're mm. not doing the right groundwork then we're not going to be able to help other people and it, you know, I think back to two big experiences where I had burnout I was so I was I was so um you know burnt out or whatever you word you want to call it I couldn't even think straight to the point where my husband's going you can't get on a plane and fly to Melbourne you are not well and I couldn't even make the decision because I was so stressed and anxious 
I couldn't even think. And then getting a person who's stressed and anxious and trying to get them to think, that that now I know is my sign that I'm not taking care of myself, is that I'm so far gone, and I hope I don't get to that point again because, you know, you put things in place when you realise you're doing this. I was so far gone that I know if I can't make a decision like, I'm tired. Should I go to bed? I don't know. Oh, and then think about it. That is a sign that I'm tired <laughs> and I should go to bed. Um, so, Sheridan, with your work, have you found there's sort of some trigger points along the way or some steps, I guess, before, you know, hopefully before you get to that burnt out where you, where you kind of think straight? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that I've spent, you know, the last year and particularly now that the book's out and I'm talking about it all of the time I'm you know getting that opportunity to bring all this information back to the surface and walk my talk um so in reflection you know I use the term press pause a lot because none of us a type personalities or people who are quite driven or people who are really excited and passionate about our job and I think there was something that you were saying, Brett, when you talked about, you know, getting that first senior position. It's when we care a lot, we can go into this overdrive mode. We forget that we've already got the job. Someone's seen that we can do it. You know, we are enough. We wouldn't have got the job. Yes, we might need to evolve and grow, but we don't need to run ourselves ragged. And these days, literally on a daily basis, I watch for the signs when I feel that um, you know, strange either irkiness, like emotional irkiness, where I, I'm starting to not feel good about myself, or that that sort of jittery edge of of anxiety. It's like it's time for me to stop and press pause. Maybe I've already done enough. Maybe I'm overdoing the wrong area because in all that overdoing, there's the things that get neglected, like my tax, like my health. Um, and now I'm trying to deal with those things and I can be, you know, partway through doing my tax and start to feel really anxious. And it's like, you can't do it all at once. It took six years to make this mess. You're not going to undo it in six minutes. You've done enough for today. Come back and, you know, really break things down. You know, don't bite off more than I can chew. And also to recognize that I've got to a point in my career, I had a boss say years ago, Oh, Sheridan, you've got to remember that now you've, you know, really honed your skills. What you feel like a bad day on air is still a good day. And what you're probably considering a pretty good day is a great day. So remembering that the world doesn't judge me as harshly as I judge myself. And sometimes letting things breathe is where we get the new idea or a new solution forms, which is why people meditate or take time out in nature. Take a break if, if you're feeling all of those feelings or even like you're pushing, you know, the proverbial poop up a hill with a pin and you're not getting the solution easily. It's in the breaks. It's in the breath. It's in the just letting it all go. And sometimes things magically, you know, just come into your mind then. So space, they talk about this in music. It's the space between the notes that makes the music. Otherwise, it's just a cacophony, you know. Um, it's the space in interior design or even, you know, if you take one's own messy bedroom, you make the bed, the whole room looks better because you've created this space and this moment of ease that your eyes rest on that. Apparently the color green has a, a biological effect on our eyes. So 
that that causes relaxation, cause our literal eye muscles and irises or bits and pieces. I don't know. I'm kind of segueing and making it up, but um, there is a scientific fact in there somewhere <laughs> that I heard about where just looking at the color green, particularly in nature, there's a instinctive relaxation that happens in some part of our eyes. So knowing that that's just as important as the hard yakka. Of course, there are times we all have to step up. There are times where we have to push ourselves when we're up against the deadline. Journalism, radio presenting, um, many of our jobs and probably many of the, the people listening and your own jobs have de lots of deadlines. You know, the word deadline is just meant to be one. I have one in every conversation on air there's a, a time aspect, there's making sure we're ready for the next person. There's so many things going on that it's really easy to burn out because, you know, life is just one deadline after another. But when I step out of the studio, and the studio is, you know, by and large, the microphone, the stage, they are places that they're my sort of natural habitat. So I'm okay with that type of pressure. It's when I pile it on when I don't need to, the saying yes to all the extra things, not being selective and not going, time to go home. The rest can wait till tomorrow. The world will not end if I go for a walk. In fact, the world might be better off for it because when I take that space, I just might find the solution that, um, you know, that everyone's looking for. It can be so hard to say stop. And when I had my burnout experiences, the first time I did, my husband said, go do yoga. I'd never done yoga before. I got a two-week, you know, unlimited yoga pass and I was running my own business at the time and I actually realised that if I stay in the business burnt out and not making good decisions, that's actually worse for the business. So it's going to be better for me to take two weeks off, which seems like a ridiculously long amount of time. And then nothing happened when I went back. The world didn't end and it sounds almost shocking, but I'd worked it up so much in my mind that it was going to be such a big deal and um, you know, I wasn't really that important, it turns out, in the end, which was a great, great lesson to learn. The sun still rises and sets no matter what each of us are doing individually. But um, something cropped up while you were talking about that, Felicity, and, and I think it's probably worth mentioning um, because in any organisation, we have other people and one of the things I was aware of or I felt like, you know, I couldn't take time off because then I'd be burdening my colleagues and um, I see the nodding heads. So I'm guessing that's a relatable topic as well. It's, um, it's you know, the, there's the old aeroplane adage, you know, you put your mask on so you can breathe before you can help anyone else. Uh, it's cliche for a reason because it is so true and it's so hard to do because we will often tell our colleague, oh, look, hey, you know, you've been going at it for a while, go take a break, look after yourself, but we don't do it for ourselves. And particularly in leadership roles, I think that can be a real challenge because you can sort of feel like the parent or the, you know, the the keeper of all of these people and and projects and and it's a lot to look after. And look, it's hard enough to look after ourselves or our immediate family if we start treating an entire company as our um, as our child that, you know, we've got to watch over diligently and support, but don't support ourselves, we're in a bit of trouble. I Having think said that, it's important to support our workers as well. Oh, oh, look, Sheridan, I was nodding furiously in agreement with that. It's funny. Um, I, you know... 1st of April this year, the psychological safety 
requirements came in across, you know, different jurisdictions around workplace health and safety. And I think what that means, you know, I've started to think about that already. It's almost like that, as you were talking before, it's the do as I say, not do as I do. So I've fundamentally changed that now for me. I, you know, there's this theme or thing getting around, you know, on a range of different social media platforms about leaving loudly. And, and you know, just so all our <laughs> listeners know what that is, that's, you know, people or CEOs that say, I'm going to go and see Johnny or Jenny play softball or football or whatever it is. I'm making a big deal about it. I think the way that I sort of deal with that is I just let everybody know I'm going home, I'm available or I'm not available. And I think if 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 leaders do that and they support others doing that, then I think what it does is it engenders this ongoing cultural reform piece in an organisation to say if it's okay for person X, then it should be okay for person Y. And the reason I brought in that, you know, that psychological safety piece is I think organisations are going to be held to account if they don't engender that type of cultural reform, because, you know, when we talk about emotional distress, et cetera, from a workplace health and safety perspective, at some point in the future, there will be organisations that aren't doing that right and they will get found out. And mm. I think, you know, what we've spoken a little bit over the podcast about the difference between, you know, the Gen Y, so the millennial, somebody like Felicity versus the wisdom worker or the old person like I am. Uh, and, and one of the challenges, I, you know, we've spoken about has been, how do we make sure that we want people to come and work with us who align? Once again, if we're talking about this pausing or, or making sure that you're looking after self, if you don't have a culture that actually embeds and sets that that is an expectation and it's not abnormal, we're going to miss out on those really great people because they're going to go to where the organisations are getting that right. Mm, I love that. And I think there can be a key in our complaints too, because I, I remember being in an office where the boss would do exactly what you're saying. It's like, I'm off to pick up little Johnny now. And there'd be a sort of, it's all right for them. Don't they think you know, we've got children too? So if you're having that response to your leader um, or your boss or someone in a more senior role than you, then turn around and look at yourself. They're, they're actually giving you permission. They're not saying I can do this and you can't. They're not saying I'm off to pick up my child and your child doesn't matter. But if that is your response, then have a look at that because that is something to address. And the sooner we can address those responses in ourselves, they not only improve our lot in life, but the whole office or the whole workplace begins to improve because we don't have to spend all of our time bitching, moaning, complaining and debriefing. It's like, oh, maybe I can take a leaf out of that person's book and I can also be loud about leaving. And suddenly you've got a whole culture in a workplace where everyone's supporting everybody to get those things done. And yes, there will be times you have to step up and I can bet my bottom dollar there will be times where your CEO or your boss has you know picked up little Johnny and then had to work from home for a couple of hours and you'll never see those. So um, that's just a little something I learned along the way is to not assume that other people are lazy because they're not as loud as I was about, look at me, I'm doing so much, I'm so busy, the B word, the B word, I'm busy, busy, busy. And the other area that you can pay attention to in your own language and that of people around you is when people say, oh, look, I know you're really busy. 
it's like, okay, well, you've taught them that you're too busy to ask you to go out on the weekend. It can actually seep into your personal life to a point where people start avoiding you because you've rejected them so many times or you moan on about how busy you are instead of actually addressing it. And you could sit down with that boss and say, hey, I've noticed that on Fridays you always cut out a bit early. You know, how how do you manage to do that? And where is the line for me at my career development and my job where it's okay for me to ask to be cut a little bit of slack so that I can, um, you know, have a life? Mm. It's such a great point. And this theme is so fascinating. And one of my mentors talked to me about it like this, that work used to be work and then there was life. And then the next generation went work-life balance. And now we're talking about work-life integration where there's this blend of the two worlds. And we're certainly seeing through COVID and working from home, both me and my husband work from home now. It's actually really normal and, and fantastic because we're so close with our young family and he wouldn't see them as much if he wasn't working from home. Um, and I think that's you know, a challenge and an opportunity. And Sheridan, it sounds like through your journey, it hasn't just been a work side of things. It's actually been a whole range of other areas in your life and you mentioned finances before so has this journey led you to exploring your whole life and and that integration piece as well yes, um, yes I'd love to hear more about it yeah. so having a more holistic approach to life hasn't me meant I've dropped my passion you know, I haven't dropped the ball in fact I've got an international book deal there's nothing slack about me However, I do press pause. I do take time off. And it felt really ironic at first because I'd only written that one page when the very next day, going right back to the beginning of our podcast chat today, uh, the very next day on air on the program, I was interviewing a wellness author and it was the last segment of the day. It was Mindful Monday, this nice segment I did at the end of the program. I was doing mornings. So the first half of the show, about an hour and a half, was, you know, local news, hard news, you know, all the heavier stuff. And then it would gently move into more of a magazine format, the, the stuff I really love, the longer conversations. And she'd put out a book on mindfulness. In fact, it was her second book. And she's a sunshine coaster too, Georgia Hooper. And we turned the radio off because, you know, it was the end of the program another studio takes over and she and I were chatting and she she knew one of my colleagues and she said I hear you're a writer as well and I talked a bit about these novels I've been working on I said but then I wrote this you know this journal entry last night that feels like a book it feels really like sort of the zeitgeist of now and of course me as a perfectionist would normally sit down and then keep working it and overworking it and worry it wasn't good enough and you know years down the track you know, chewing over this book, someone else would bring out something with a similar name. I think, well, I can't do that. It's already done. And I would have wasted a lot of time and energy. And she said, you are absolutely right. That is so now, that is so needed. You need to pitch it. You need to pitch it to this company. And if I was you, I'd do it today. And I'm like, what? I can't pitch one page. Everybody knows how hard it is to get a publishing deal. And I'd definitely knew that the the path of self-published was not for me. Um, you really do need to be some sort of digital marketing genius to really make that work or, um, and the caveat is, have a very specific audience. So you can self-publish a book if you're, you know, you have a business and you have an audience that 
is going to read that book and share it with other people who are in a similar business. So that's another time that self-publishing, there's quite a few times that self-publishing can work. But I thought this is a big, audacious, I guess, for want of a better word, self-help topic. And I think it's something that a lot of people need. I didn't quite send that one-page pitch. I wrote another piece or two. I sent a three-page example of my work with a a tiny paragraph about me and a couple of lines about the book, literally, not even a paragraph. I sent it to the publisher that Georgia recommended, and then I sent it to two other publishers. And lo and behold, all three of them got back to me saying, we want to hear more. And two of those publishers didn't take unsolicited work. So I knew I was onto something and um, it went from there. So, so you know, when you stop and and don't second guess yourself, you know, put that imposter syndrome, don't let it be in the driver's seat. It's there. It's probably got a few things to tell you, but, you know, make sure it's sitting in the back seat and say, look, I'll, I'll have a listen to you later. But right now, if I don't press send, someone else is going to do this. You know, if I don't, you know, people say, how did you get an international publishing deal? I pressed send. <laughs> when in the past I hadn't, you know, I pressed send. I was authentic. It's a very, very personal book. Uh, those of you who read it will get to know me far better than you probably even want to. Um, <laughs> but I think it is a time for being authentic. And that's what we crave in our culture, in our leaders. I mean, look at politics, you know, when we see these, you know, crazy larger than life characters cropping up around the globe. Um and we're like, why? You know, why would anyone vote for that person? But those people believe in themselves. And I think it is a time for us to to just be more transparent. And particularly as you're moving into leadership roles or you're already in a leadership role or you want to be in a leadership role, um, that transparency is the thing that makes you uniquely individual you know it's the same reason i'd say look give give plastic surgery and botox and fillers a wide berth if you can possibly manage it because your face is the unique thing about you you know there are there there are i just think there's so much to be gained by getting comfortable in your own skin and your own persona and what you have to offer the world. It's it's highly unique. No matter where you are on your career trajectory, just make sure you keep inserting yourself in there. It's the, you've got to back yourself piece, isn't it? And I mean, I know um, I, I, I'm sitting here today because I gross failed, um, I gross failed grade 12 the first time, repeated. Then I failed uni six months before I was due to graduate back in the late 80s. Um, with uh, a teaching degree, um, I, got, I got kicked out for gross failure. Now, <laughs> if I hadn't had all of that, I wouldn't have gone down the trajectory I went to. And yet, I'm sitting here on a podcast talking about my career, you know, as a CEO and a whole range of other things, Sheridan. And, and I think it's a really important thing that um, we often forget about is everybody has a different story, and it's the different story as you were talking about that makes them authentic. And when we you know, who do we engage with? Who do we want to be with? We want to be with people that we want to know more about. And I think that's that authentic authentic piece that you're talking about there. I can't even speak. 
So, so I, I, what you said resonates so much with me on, on that piece. It really, really does. And I bet when you think about, you know, some of the, the people you work with and the people you're mentoring, you see something in them. And, you know, I'm sure you've told them what you see in them, whether they believe it or not is another matter. But I can't stress enough to anyone in a leadership position, you know, praise value let your staff know that you value them that you see them that you hear them you might not always be able to run with their idea but finding ways to express how important it is that they are working with you and that they are putting in the time and putting in their ideas because people start to shrink without um, some sort of attention we all need it it doesn't make you greedy it doesn't make you insecure we all want to be validated. We all need to be recognized for the efforts we're doing. So it, that's another danger. If everyone's overworking, we get so into our own heads that we think, well, I've got to do this. I'm doing this, doing this, doing this. We're not even noticing, you know, the amazing work of the people around us. And sometimes we're doing things unnecessarily because someone's already done it. So many great pieces of advice, Sheridan. I'm madly going to be taking notes as I listen back to this podcast. And I think what you said then was so powerful around that we can often get stuck in our own little worlds and we put all that pressure on ourselves. And if with the role of leaders today, I think it is a really important part for us to support and nurture and build those trusting relationships. And when we do have those, it means we can tap that person on the shoulder and say, hey, look, I've noticed you, you know, you are, it looks like you're experiencing burnout or, you know, I can see these challenges that you're facing. And then you have that relationship where people can really listen to each other. Um, but if there are people who are listening to this and they do have a team, they're feeling like they're disconnected or they're noticing that there is burnout within their staff, what can what do you think a leader can do to help people in that situation? Because it for me, as someone who has a team, I find it quite challenging to sort of say, hey, I've noticed this is going on. Maybe you need to take a break because, you know, you get worried about that pushback or oh, do you think I'm not doing a good job, et cetera. So what advice would you have, Sheridan, for, for leaders to support their staff who might be experiencing some of these things? Yeah, it's such a, a, a challenging one to answer because it's so incredibly individual. And I think if uh, you are a leader, think about that individual and just take a few minutes before you start telling them, that, you know, oh, when I was your age, I did this or, you know, because we all know when our parents did that to us, how much attention we paid to it. We just instantly switched off. So um, have a little think about, you know, who that person is and hold space for the fact that you probably don't know everything that's going on for them. So listening before going in with the, um, I've noticed this and that, but it's sort of like, you know, how are you? How, how's your workload at the moment? Um, is, there, is there anything you need from me that could make things perhaps a little easier or flow more smoothly? What do you, and, and maybe even start with, no, what are you feeling really good about so that we're moving into the conversation in a way that is natural and organic and, and those solutions can emerge or confessions or just a more open dialogue can happen. I think if we sometimes tackling things head on, people will, as I said, like that parental thing, it's like, oh, you know, when I was your age, I used to, and I caught myself doing that with my stepkids once or twice. I'm like, Sheridan, stop. That never worked for you. It's probably not going to work for them either. But it's like, you know, we used to have this funny little thing that I'd do around the table in the evening. It's like, you know, oh, what was your highlight of the day and what was your low light? You know, what went really well? 
what kind of sucked, you know, and from there there's that potential for them to unravel a little bit of the 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 knotty issue themselves and, you know, perhaps just gently um, guide the conversation or let the conversation emerge, you know, and, and it doesn't always get solved in one sitting. Sometimes we can sit down, you know, with our colleague or or someone we're managing and say, duh, 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 and then we expect it, oh, it's like, well, they've heard us, they nodded, they said, yes, I'll do that differently, and then nothing happens or it feels like nothing happens. And I think some sometimes we've got to recognise that habits and, and people ask me, why 90 days? Why did you do that for 90 days? There is research behind it that shows that habits, you know, this whole, you know, change your life in seven days or less, it just doesn't work. It doesn't stick or rarely does. Of course, there's exceptions. There's exceptions to everything. And you can do, go to all sorts of motivational se seminars where they hold up the exception. They don't tell you about all the other people that bought the product that, you know, felt too overwhelmed to even start the workshop that, you know, the, the online course that you charge them, you know, significantly for. It's not that they're losers. It's that sometimes, you know, when you've got this big expectation of yourself, um, it's it's even hard to get out of the gate and learning to really read the room and, and be sensitive to the fact that some personality types, you know, I've talked a lot about how I'm quite driven and I go, go, go and do too much. My closest friend in the whole wide world does the opposite. She goes to bed. She doesn't do anything. She plays bubble shooter, you know. <laughs> which is a mindless game um, because it gives her some reprieve. And so she shuts down, but the root cause is the same. You know, she's still overdoing when it comes to her children and overdoing when it comes to work, but her way of showing up in the world is to sort of, you know, cover it with, I don't really care. Um, I think people who really do care about whether they got the promotion or not will sometimes say, you know, Oh, I didn't really want it anyway. Um, I know I'm one of those sort of people that if I, and it could go back to my childhood where I, I got things quite easily. I was at 11, the youngest person in the country to be awarded a grant from the Australian Film Commission. Now, sometimes that early success, as impressive as it sounds, it's really hard to live up to in the rest of your life. And also when you're young, you'll get something on sheer talent. And then the people with the perseverance and the tenacity can overtake you. And my radio career has been fantastic you know, by and large, it's, you know, I've been in a very long purple patch, but the two times I've had upper management that, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't their cup of tea. Um, I didn't think, you know, I'm just not their cup of tea. Not everyone likes Earl Grey. I've got a, a top, a, a little chapter called, you know, Lady Grey, not everybody's cup of tea, because I did take it personally. It was like, I wasn't used to somebody saying, oh, you know, no, you're not really a good fit for this. I was like, what? It's, it's me, you know, like I'm number one. And it's like, they didn't care, you know, they had a different agenda. So sometimes um, those personalities that quietly, you know, ha have to struggle with a few things actually end up being stronger for it. So I think I just answered your question with about 20 different aspects um, but if you are in a leadership role, be aware that, you know, all of those things could be at play. There could be somebody who's having 
you know, you're thinking that they're so strong and confident and they could be having an inner crisis because they're not used to rejection. There could be someone else that you're talking to that seems really blasé and acts like they don't care, but again, is having a huge inner response to the fact that, you know, they didn't get the promotion or they didn't get the team leader of the weekday, month, year, you know, they didn't get the shiny gold star. Yes, we have no idea what's really going on for people until we actually ask and then give the space to listen to what they Yeah, yeah. that was a much more succinct way of my last five <laughs> minutes. Thank you, Felicity. I loved all of it. You've spurred so many other thoughts and ideas. We could speak for another hour. It's been absolutely fascinating. But did you have any final questions before we wrap up today? Oh, look, and this is the fun part of podcasts. In my job um, as a radio broadcaster, everything has to be very, you know, time sensitive and very succinct. So I think the beauty of a podcast is you can, you know, put on your earbuds, your headphones, your, whatever your your device is, and go for a walk and and be out and about and let this longer conversation with all those nuances and all the the funny little um, rabbit holes that that we go down when we have a longer time. And in there might be the real gem that we can't always squeeze into a five minute meeting or a a pithy quote or um, you know something like that. Those things all have their place as well, and and life is full of restraint. But um, yeah, absolutely delightful to have a long and winding and convoluted and hopefully um, <laughs> with a couple of uh, key takeaway conversation with both of you. Which, by the way, you'd both be great in radio because you have such rock star names. We've got <laughs> Felicity and I were talking about earlier. You know, BB, FF, SS. Um, I don't know. Did you choose your names, or were you born that way? <laughs> I've grown into mine. I've grown into mine. <laughs> um, if, yes, watch out. You've got to have an alliterated last name to be um, to be a special guest now after you, Sheridan. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about uh, the people I feel really sorry for these days are the ones that work in commercial radio where they've got some, you know, kooky name like Bat Boy or something. And then what happens when they stop being Bat Boy on breakfast radio? No one actually knows who they are. Maybe they like it like that. That, that can be a good thing. Um, yeah, no, just be yourself, please. You are enough. And that's a great message to leave on. Brad, did you have any, any final questions? Uh, um, no, not, not questions, but uh, sorry, well, a couple of quick, quick things. Um, when can we get the book, Sheridan, and how do we go about getting it? Because I'm definitely keen to, to, to get it. It is everywhere. If you type into your search engine, Sheridan Stewart, I am enough. Um, I, the distribution has been fantastic here in Australia. It's, you know, everywhere from the airport, um, possibly not the Sunshine Coast Airport being a small regional airport, but all the big airports have got it. Big W has it. That's the cheapest place to get it if you're feeling a little financially restricted. It's available digital. It's available on audio um it's pretty much everywhere uh locally and his books at perigian um harry hartog's yeah i've been absolutely delighted with the distribution well i'm definitely going to buy it um and the final thing i'll say felicity before i throw back to you is um i've done a lot of interviews live um with radio journalists and personalities etc can i say this is what i've enjoyed the most because i haven't been getting hammered i've really really enjoyed this <laughs> one. So thank you sheriff <laughs> 
<laughs> it's fun being on the other side of the microphone for me as well. <laughs> Thank you both. Um, and, you know, I'm so impressed by this podcast. I enjoyed in uh, my version of preparation, which was just to listen to a couple of different episodes. And I just thought this is this is an important one, you know, emerging excellence, understanding leadership and looking after yourself as well as other people is, you know, it's a topic that we, that the sooner we can grasp, grasp it in life, you know, I call myself a, you know, early starter slash late bloomer. There's some things I've been really slow to the party with. And, you know, if, if anyone listening today can take, you know, just one or two things for themselves from this or any of the other podcast episodes, then, you know, the, the the different injuries and agonies we've gone through will all be worthwhile if we can save you um, uh, shortcut some of those things. But right back to one of my early points I'd probably like to finish on is, you know, when I did the 90-day challenge, the, you know, no eating in cafes and restaurants, as someone who grew up in the cafe culture, I thought that was going to be really tough, but I settled into it. I took my own coffee. I saved nearly $5,000 just not going out to lunch. Um and no non-essential spending, using what I had, leaning uh, into. We could actually translate that to your skill set too. Like sometimes is a time for growth. Other times, lean into the fantastic things you're already doing. You don't need to, you know, pile up your plate really high with constant learning. It's important, but then it's important to actually let those um, skills and teachings really settle in and make them your own and find your own unique way of doing it. And lucky last, um, the one I so-called failed at, going home from work on time. The reason for that failure, the reason we often struggle is it's the area where we have the most to learn. So I can, in retrospect, there you go, lack of words, hockey pig's got my tongue. In retrospect, I can see that's where I had the biggest learning and um, and be okay with that, you know, to recognize that, yeah, we're allowed to fail. It's failure is just a chance to learn something that we didn't know before and and that's a really important one too I think to to tuck in your back pocket that you know we're not going to win all of the time you know Sheridan the girl that got a film grant at age 11 um doesn't win all of the time none of us do it's it's not possible it we shouldn't and we shouldn't expect it of ourselves either such great, amazing, practical tips to finish on. And Sheridan, it just reminded me as you were sharing then, I remember I, I gave a, a, a presentation, I was on a, I was on a panel um, to the Property Council of Australia. It was this huge room. It was the biggest room I'd ever spoken in front of, something like 600 plus people. And I remember getting off the stage and thinking, oh gosh, was that okay? And this amazing woman, Ming Long, came up to me and said, you are enough. And I just burst into tears. Oh, and it just was so beautiful. I didn't even know I needed to hear that. So if there's anyone listening today, there's some great practical tips. And, you know, if you haven't been told today that you are enough, we're here to tell you you are enough. So thank you, Sheridan. Absolute magic that you shared with us. Thank you to Brett, my incredible co-host. That's a wrap for our podcast today. Check out Sheridan's book. I can't wait to go read it and enjoy the rest of your day wherever you're listening from. Thank you. Thank you.